0: You turn in your Bibles to Isaiah, Chapter One. Our scripture reading for this morning is verses twenty one to thirty one. found on page 567. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you and you can turn to page 567 and find our text there. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word as we read it together? How the faithful city has become a whore. She who is full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your best wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless and the widow's cause does not come to them. Therefore, the Lord declares, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, Ah, I will get relief from my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. I will turn my hand against you and will smelt away your dross as with lie, and remove all your alloy. And I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness a faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed by justice, and those in her who repent by righteousness. But rebels and sinners shall be broken together, and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. For they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired, and you shall blush for the gardens that you have chosen. For you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers, and like a garden without water. And the strong shall become tender, and his work a spark. And both of them shall burn together with none to quench them. You may be seated as we pray. Oh God, as we approach your word this morning, we pray that It would not merely be a human effort where we are just trying to understand the ink on the page. I pray that, Lord, you would help us to understand what you have revealed here, and I pray that we would have eyes to see spiritually What this text reveals of your glory and of our need, and also what this text reveals of your character as the Redeemer. And I pray that we would respond in repentance and faith. So, Lord, I pray that you would be our teacher, that by your Spirit you would come and expose what needs to be exposed that you would show us your glory, show us your greatness, show us who you are, and help us to see it, help us to believe it. I pray that you wouldn't just be a concept to us, but that you would be a reality, the most defining reality in our lives. So where you are small in our hearts and minds, and other things are really big things that we think will satisfy us or things that are really big and threatening and we are enslaved to fear and anxiety, I pray that you would just blow that up and show yourself to be the mighty God who can save and redeem and rescue and protect and help. So I need your help, Lord, and each of us needs your help as we listen to your word to receive it, to understand it, to receive it, to respond to it. So we pray that you give us grace. Lord, as we also pray for the ministry of this church outside of our community here, we thank you for the opportunity to partner with the Kirks that we've mentioned earlier, and we pray that you'd help us to send them out in a manner worthy of God. And we also pray for Colleen as she is missionary in focus this week. We thank you for the privilege of partnering with her in her ministry at UD. And Lord, we pray that Christians on varsity and club sport teams at UD would be brave and that they would step out in faith to have spiritual conversations with their teammates. That they would be able to start Bible studies on their teams. And Lord, I pray that that the ways in which oftentimes fear and shame get in the way of that kind of courage and bravery, I pray that you would be big in the view of those Christian athletes and that what their friends think in the short run would be relatively small and that they would be bold to love their teammates enough to share Christ with them. Lord, I pray that you would raise up A Christian leader on every varsity team on that campus. I pray that you would allow Bible study with coaches and athletic administration to continue. I pray that you would open up doors for gospel conversation for Colleen on campus and help her to be sensitive to your spirit's leading as she interacts with students. And Lord, I pray that you continue to provide for her and raise up new financial partners to make this ministry possible um, in the time to come, in the days ahead. Lord, thank you that we can call you, Father, that we can come and receive mercy and grace to help us in our need all because of Jesus whether the needs are now as we seek to learn from your word or tomorrow morning with whatever we're going to face or with Colleen's ministry at UD or whatever it is, we thank you that because of Jesus, we can be reconciled to you. We can have you as our father. You can be for us and not against us. And there is so much grace and help available to us. I pray that we would not Forget that, that we would not run elsewhere for what we need. Help us to run to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so as we head into Isaiah 1 here, as we read through that passage, you might think, what in the world does this text have to do with me here in the 21st century? Um, Well, just stop and think about this for a minute briefly. Have you ever noticed how we long for redemption? You long for redemption. You have longed for redemption in maybe more ways than you realize. Even though that's typically kind of a religious word, it actually is used in our culture a fair amount. Um, So we could talk about some movies where there's redemptive themes. We could talk about how this character is looking for redemption, you know, and you could probably think of some movies off the top of your head. But how about personally? When is it that you want to redeem yourself? When does that typically come to mind that you want to do that? It's when you've failed. It's when you've done something and you're embarrassed. You're ashamed, right? I want another chance. So it could be an athlete where you had the chance to, you know, come through for the team and you dropped the ball, maybe literally, and you really want a chance to redeem yourself. You want another chance. It could be in a conversation, it could be at work where you totally blew it, you, you've, you just dropped the ball in that conversation and you just want another chance, you want to redeem yourself. You want to prove yourself, you want to vindicate yourself, right? Well, our passage is all about redemption, and it's redemption that's way bigger, more important, and way better than the kind of redemption that oftentimes we long for, and that is talked about in our culture. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 1 here. Just a brief little intro. Um, we started out last week in the first 20 verses. The situation is very bleak. Um, Isaiah's ministry was back in the 700s to the late 600s. Okay, This is a long time ago, B.C., um, And the situation is bleak. The people of God, people in Judah, southern kingdom, um, this is supposed to be like the center of God's presence and his people. Jerusalem, this is the city of God. And yet they're rebellious. They're like rebellious children. Look back at verse 4. It summarizes the situation well. Ah, sinful nation. They're supposed to be a holy nation. They're supposed to be God's special set-apart people But instead, they're laden with iniquity. They're offspring of evildoers. They're supposed to be children of God. They're children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They've despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Children that don't even know their father. They've rebelled and they're they're runaways, basically. Now, despite this wretched rebellion, we looked at it last week, Yahweh, God, is full of mercy and appeals to them to repent. Look at verse 18. He says, come now, after all this rebellion, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Okay, now as we look at our text, verses 21 to 31 this morning, sadly it becomes obvious that they have not accepted this invitation of verse 18. Instead, what we find is what happens When we turn from God. So look first at verses 21 to 23. When we turn from God, it's a bleak picture. How the faithful city, Jerusalem, has become a whore. You see the contrast there? Faithfulness and prostitution. She who is full of justice, this is the people of God, they're supposed to be just and righteous. Righteousness lodged in her. It found a home in this city in the past. But now, murderers. Your silver has become dross. Think about the reversal there. Here's this precious metal silver, and it has become not just impure. It's actually become the foreign material, the worthless foreign material, the impurities. That's all it is. So your silver has become dross, not just mixed with dross, but flat-out dross. Your best wine mixed with water. Water's effect on wine is pervasive, right? Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. So the leaders are these thieving rebels, okay? Like a, like a principal becoming, like imagine if Mike Tardibi at his school became like one of the Thugs I don't know if there's any thugs that ever entered into your, into your office, but became like one of the thugs who is regularly in his office. Imagine the chaos if the city officials are like gang members. That's the point. Total chaos. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. Very commonly in Isaiah and in other places in the Bible. The way that the people of God care for widows and orphans, it's a litmus test for justice. James 1 echoes this. Pure and undefiled religion is to look after widows and orphans in their distress. Okay, so this is a bad situation. You see how the city is no longer full of justice and righteousness. Verse 23 unpacks verses 21 and 22. Instead of being full of justice... Instead of righteousness finding a home there, it's full of murder and injustice. Okay? Princes, rebels, companion of thieves, loving a bribe, you know, injustice abounds. So, big picture of this this first point, this section, the faithful city has become a whore. Ah, that's shocking language. Why does God talk that way about the rebellion of his people? Well, we tend to downplay our sin. We don't see, we don't feel the sinfulness of sin. So this metaphor, and it's not the only place in the Bible it's used, is intended to help us with that. Okay? We should have a visceral, gut-level disdain for sin. We often don't. So God tells us what our sin is like to awaken righteous disgust for rebellion. Again, James, again, we can't think this is way back there, you know, centuries and centuries ago. James says in chapter 4, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. Maybe not literally, But certainly we can backstab and character assassinate and that kind of thing. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And then he says, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us? So we, in our sin, can be unfaithful, prostituting ourselves, and God says, don't run to these other suitors. They're never going to satisfy you. He yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us. Repent and return. Come back to me. Okay, so remember, last week, this book is the vision, chapter 1, verse 1, the vision of Isaiah. And mainly what we see in this vision is the glorious holiness of God. We behold our God in this book over and over again, and we see ourselves in the light of His blinding and yet sight-giving light of His glory. Okay, so when that happens, when we see His holiness, remember chapter 6, we're going to get to it. Isaiah came into the presence of God and he said, woe is me, I'm undone when he saw the king, the glory of his holiness. Okay, so we need to remain in the light, not shrink back from it when it's uncomfortable, when our sin, we realize, is like spiritual adultery. Okay, so it's uncomfortable to be in the light of God's holiness, but it's the place where purification happens. It comes. So, Another thing we need to take note of as we try to get oriented to Isaiah 1 here is that these verses are viewing things from the vantage point of hundreds of years, okay? So the faithful city Jerusalem was established, you know, back in the time of King David, around 1000 BC. Isaiah's prophesying in the 700s, so that's hundreds of years. There's lots of ups and downs, obviously, in those years. If you read the kings, there were some kings that were good kings, bad kings, you know, But viewed from the wide-angle lens, the city was faithful in the past and now is unfaithful. Okay, and so there can be, there often has been, a downward, downward spiral in, can we say, for our context, the church. It can happen one generation to the next. It could happen at Bethel. Okay, so each new generation must accept the invitation of. One eighteen. come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Okay, so we are prone to wander, to turn from God. So we must continually turn from our turning. We must regularly return to the Lord and not forsake Him in unbelief. So, if any of us are wandering this morning... Okay, so even though this very much applies to you, applies to all of us, even though this is speaking of this large-scale decline on the part of the people of God, you know, from the scope of hundreds of years, large-scale decline is always made up of lots of small-scale individual drifting in rebellion, right? So let this text be, in a sense, what it was intended to be at first, kind of a spiritual splash of cold water to the face So if you're drifting, if you're cold, if you're indifferent, it's much much worse than you tend to judge it. We tend to downplay our, our sin and our rebellion. When we turn from God, God is not indifferent and cold. Whether we know it or not, whether we believe it or not, God turns to us. And we need to know it and we need to believe it. So Look at point two there when God turns to us, verses 24 to 26. Therefore, in light of this unfaithfulness, the Lord declares, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, Ah, I will get relief from my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. A very sobering verse. Listen to uh, Ray Ortland, and I'm quoting intentionally. I'm probably going to continue to quote regularly from this, this book. I'm going to make it the book of the month next month. It's an excellent. Commentary on Isaiah. If you if you start to shiver like commentary, oh, you know um, this is not like a normal commentary. It is very readable and really really good. Um, That conviction quote last week. um, I think I heard lots of people that appreciated that same book. So listen to what he says here: to His glory, no matter what we do, God just won't go away. He will never ungod Himself. There is a Lord in heaven, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, who cares deeply about his own offended justice, and his commitment to his own cause is our hope. He will get relief from his enemies. He will avenge himself on his foes. Nobody is getting away with anything. So, Is that good news or bad news? So due to the rebellion of his people, the city that was supposed to be the city of God, his own people have become his enemies. His friends have become his foes. Again, remember James 4. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? If you align with the values of this fallen world and you will not align with God, that's loving the world. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now look at the description of God here. Hardly anywhere in Isaiah are the titles of God heaped up like this. The Lord, the Master, okay? Yahweh of hosts. He's the commander of the armies, the hosts, of heaven and earth. It's a mighty title. The Mighty One of Israel. So do you see how vast and unstoppable... His power is, and that's what's in focus here. You don't want this power against you. You want this power for you. So again, another splash of cold water to the face. If we need to hear unfaithfulness, whoredom, oh, really? And then, do you know who you're dealing with? Another splash of cold water water to your face. If you're rebelling, wake up. Tremble. The people of God in Judah certainly needed to wake up. They had become God's enemies and foes. They would have been offended to hear that because they thought, hey, they're still going through the motions, going to church. What? Okay, so they needed to hear that. We may need to hear that. Look at verse 25. This exalted, powerful, mighty one of Israel, I will turn my hand against you. That's frightening. If it's not frightening... It's because we have way too small a view of God. Okay, just, just last night. So I typically take a walk and pray on Saturday night. And, you know, it was probably, I don't know, it was dark. And stars up in the sky. And you know what? Sometimes Saturdays, I'm just extra unsanctified on Saturdays. You know? Just sometimes my sin and the way that I was responding at one point... Um, you know, kind of impatient, getting annoyed easily. And, and I'm on my prayer walk and I'm looking at the stars and I'm thinking back through the day and just convicted and just saying, oh God, would you cleanse me of my unrighteousness? I trifle with you. I, I, I walked through so much of yesterday down like this. And there's this great, big, awesome God. And I needed the stars to remind me, to help me behold His Grateful, greatness. What is man that you're mindful of him? Okay? The hand of omnipotence is the hand that we're dealing with here in Isaiah. Omnipotence. We don't want that hand turned against us. We don't want to trifle with this God. We want to instead, like it says in Isaiah 41, be upheld by this omnipotent righteous right hand. So this is very sobering. It should be even if, even if because of Jesus, we are in Christ. God is for us and not against us. We should be on guard against trivializing God and trifling with him. Okay? So now this awesomely powerful God whom we've rebelled against, whom we've cheated on, what's he like? What does he do when people turn away from him? When we turn from him, he turns to us. What happens? Well, you'd expect that he would wipe out his enemies, right? Right? give them what they deserve? Well, here's where it gets both surprising and pretty wonderful. Look at verse 25 again. He says, I'll turn my hand against you and will smelt away your dross as with lye. That's like industrial strength cleanser. I'm going to smelt away your dross. Remember the silver had become like dross. I'm going to purify you I'm going to remove all your alloy. So when this almighty Lord, the Lord of hosts, turns to his people, he does so to purify them. Yes, he will turn up the heat, but he will do it for their good. He will do it to refine them, to purge their impulses to infidelity, to cleanse them of their impurities. Okay, so verse 26, Yahweh says, I will refine you. And I will restore your judges as at the first. Remember those gang members? (laughs) I will restore your judges as at at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. So those leaders that were rebels and thieves, I'm going to restore to my people leaders that will lead with righteousness and justice. And then afterward, after I do this refining work, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. See the bookend there between verse 21 and 26? a reversal, total reversal. The once faithful city that had become unfaithful, acting like a prostitute, has now become, again, the faithful city. The city in which righteousness once lodged and was at home, that had become filled with injustice. Afterward, whatever happened in between, we'll talk about in a minute, but afterward it will be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Total transformation. Okay, now again, I mentioned before that this passage is is viewed from a wide-angle lens, or it's representing a wide-angle lens view of the people of God in Jerusalem, the city of God? Well, in verses 26 to 27, it actually, (laughs) the lens um, becomes a lot wider in its scope, more than just a few hundred years. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Ultimately, Ultimately, that is fulfilled and looks forward to the new Jerusalem, the city of righteousness, the city in which righteousness dwells, okay? The faithful city. It's spoken of this way in Revelation 21 two, And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, okay? So that's the people of God in the future. The Lord has redeemed his people. He is redeeming. His people, and one day there'll be final and full, complete redemption. There'll be no more infidelity, no more unrighteousness, and the holy city, New Jerusalem, comes down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Okay, so how in the world are we going to get there? (laughs) How is that going to happen? Well, look at verse 27. Zion, which is another word for Jerusalem, the city of God, Zion shall be redeemed, how? By justice. And those in her who repent shall be redeemed by righteousness. So the, the people of God had turned away from him. He turns to them. He turns to his rebellious people and rather than annihilating them, He promises to purify them. They shall be redeemed by justice and righteousness. Redemption is accomplished by righteousness. Okay, now what does that mean? How's God gonna do this? Well, again, this is one story with one author ultimately. And the the final fulfillment isn't there until Revelation 21 and 22. But look at how Um, God ultimately did this, redemption by righteousness, turn to Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 26. This passage here in Isaiah 1 is just begging us to go (laughs) to Romans chapter 3. You can find it on page 941 in the Pew Bible. Now, there's a lot in these few verses. We can't unpack it all here, but let's just pick up in verse 23, a verse that's probably familiar to many of you. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, that's all of us by nature. We've all turned from God and rebelled. And are justified, declared righteous in God's sight, okay, in the court of heaven. How in the world can we stand If we get what we deserve, we're in trouble because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So how can we be pardoned? How can we be accepted and declared righteous? We are justified, declared righteous in God's sight. How? By grace. By His grace. As a gift. How can this grace be ours? How did this get accomplished? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Okay, This is how spiritually unfaithful, unrighteous people like you and me can be made righteous and eventually become this faithful city, this people full of righteousness. It only comes through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 25 of Romans 3. Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. Big word, I know, but it's it's a... It's a sacrifice that appeases the wrath of God. God is justly angry at sin. He can't un-God himself like Ortland said. He can't just sweep our sin under the rug or he wouldn't be just. He wouldn't be a good judge. But he's also merciful. How can he satisfy both his justice and his mercy? Well, only if he puts forward his son so he himself takes on himself the punishment we deserve, to satisfy his justice, his wrath, the condemnation that we deserve. So he put Jesus forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just, not sweeping sin under the rug, Nobody gets away with anything. And the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, able to pour his mercy out on his people who repent and trust in Jesus as their savior. So think about it. How in the world can King David, who was an adulterous murderer, how can he be forgiven and God be just? How can God be righteous to do that? Don't you see how that just seems so unfair? Because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins like David's. So he had to make a just payment for that sin. And Jesus ultimately bore that for King David as well as for us if we trust in Jesus, if we repent and trust in Jesus. So the only way unfaithful, unrighteous people can become faithful, righteous people is by means of redemption. Okay, the righteous redemption accomplished by Jesus on the cross. So justice and righteousness was not violated. It wasn't bypassed. Quote Ortland again here. It's a summary of what redemption is. What is redemption? Redemption explains how God saves us. How does he? By paying a personal price. In real life, we sin our way right into bondage. And there's no easy way out. If we try to cover it up or make excuses, we dig ourselves in deeper. Every day we create conditions in which we literally deserve hell. But what does God do? He offers to get us out of trouble at his own expense. He offers to absorb within himself the consequences we have set in motion. He pays the price so that we don't have to because we can't anyway. That's redemption. So the only way God would satisfy both his justice and his mercy was to put his son forward as a sin-bearing sacrifice in our place. So by the gospel, he is both just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We can't redeem ourselves, no matter how hard we try. We shouldn't try to vindicate ourselves. We need to be redeemed. Our only hope is in a Redeemer. And that's just what God is, and that's just what God gave us in Christ. But this redemption is not effective for everyone. It's effective for those who turn to God. Look at verses 25 to 27, point number four. When we turn to God. Okay, this is why the message is titled, Your Turn, okay? I'm not trying to be cutesy or cheesy. Turning language is all through this text, okay? Okay? It's a central theme. can't see it always in English, but look at verse 25. I will turn my hand against you. Same word. Look at verse 26. I will restore your judges. I will return or turn your judges as at the first. It's the same word. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed by justice. Those in her who turn, who return to God, who repent, shall be redeemed by righteousness. Okay? So only those who repent are redeemed by God. If you've never turned to God in repentance, if you've never turned away from your rebellion, God made you. He knows what's best for you. And we all just go our own way. If you've never turned away from that rebellion, turned away from even your own attempts to redeem yourself, establish your own righteousness, then you won't be redeemed. You can't do it yourself. You'll only be rescued and restored if you return to God. He is the Redeemer. Look at what happens when we won't turn. Sobering conclusion to this text. Verses 28 to 31, when we will not turn. But rebels and sinners shall be broken together, and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed For they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired, and you shall blush for the gardens that you have chosen. For you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers, and like a garden without water. Now, this language is probably very foreign to us. (laughs) I don't think I've ever desired any oaks. You know, maybe there's some tree huggers among us or some you know, biologists or something. Is it referring to those kind of people? No. The oaks you've desired, the gardens you've chosen, speaks of the idolatry of the people. Okay? Um, back in those times, trees and gardens, sometimes like sacred groves, sometimes had associations, associations with fertility cults in the ancient Near East. So this, this seems like it's just light years away. Well hold on. Why would people bow down to Baal, this fertility god? Or this God that could you know manage the weather so that you'd have some crops? Well your security is bound up in having some crops. Your success is bound up in having money that comes from the crops. There was shame associated with childlessness and if Yahweh's not coming through, hey, we might need to go visit the, the sacred groves so that we can pull the string, you know? Squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? So, you know, we'll hedge our bets. We'll just tr- see if we can make all the gods happy. Then maybe, maybe, maybe it'll happen for us. We'll be satisfied. Take away the shame. So, again, we need to not hold this out at arm's length. What do you do when your business success is threatened? Do you turn to the Lord and trust Him and act in faith? Obviously not sitting on your hands, but acting in faith. Or do you start to fret and scramble and manipulate and pull strength? Do you start to rely on yourself? Do you start to run to other helps? Maybe even compromising your integrity? Do you see? This is, like, this is not arm's length stuff. Okay? Where do you go for security? Where do you go for success? Where do you go for your sense of identity, all of those things. We flirt with other saviors. We run to other sources of protection and help and satisfaction, and we need redeemed. So this is really good news, that God is a redeemer of whores. Do you see why it's going to be good to keep looking at our great God through Isaiah? Like, we talk about this gospel pattern in the service. Well, it comes from books like Isaiah <laughs> over and over again. I'm really big. You're a mess. I'm really gracious. We need to get together. Would you come to me? And then I'll make you new. Over and over and over again, it happens this way. This is the rhythm of life, okay? Because we oftentimes go from beholding God to like looking at our problems, looking at the threats, looking at, you know, other stuff, and we just get drawn away and we're unfaithful and we're a mess, and we end up having to sleep in the bed we've made. And is there any redemption? Yes. Even for spiritual whores. Yes. Do you see? We need the gospel every day, folks. It's really good news. This even these Weird, seems like it's light years away from our culture and, and language here in Isaiah 1. Okay? So the point is that the, the unfaithfulness, the whoredom of the city of Jerusalem is pictured here if they don't turn. If instead they continue to pursue other gods, they will be broken and consumed and shamed and withered and dried up. Have you ever noticed that that's the effect when you run to other so-called saviors? It dries you up. It, it it's like a mirage. It doesn't really satisfy you. This is the effect of forsaking the Lord and following after other gods. The grass is greener. You know what? That lies as old as the Garden of Eden. Every so-called God that calls out to us is a mirage. Okay? What they, the picture they paint is a mirage. When you pursue it, you will eventually trip, the bubble bursts, and your mouth will be full of sand. Okay, so do you see here, we actually become like what we worship. They desired these oaks and gardens, and it was a garden without water. Only God has living water. He's the source of of water. So they became a withered oak in a garden without water. We become like what we worship. Listen to one commentator, Oswald. How foolish then, when God has chosen Judah, that Judah should choose a tree. Those who depend on the creation are doomed to wither and dry up. Romans 1 Worshipping and serving the created things rather than the Creator. Choose the garden and there's no water, but choose the one who made the garden and there are streams of living water. So do you see why there's this call to turn? Verse 31. The strong shall become tender, his work shall become a spark, and both of them shall burn together with none to quench them. Again, if we do not turn, the furnace of God's holiness consumes. If we do turn, the furnace of God's holiness, when we we come into the light of our holy God, or when he tests us and tries us, turns up the heat in our lives, those things are intended to purify us and refine us and, and get us away from those false gods, and saviors that we tend to run to. So if you've never turned, you can turn right now and trust in Jesus. And for those who who are Christians, do you see your need to continually turn and continue to be redeemed? He redeemed us at the cross. When we were converted, we turned, and there was a once-for-all mastery transaction that took place. We were transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. We've got a new master, right? But we need to keep being redeemed because we keep being unfaithful. We're prone to wander. We buy those lies, right? So we need to keep being redeemed and then one day, there's going to be full and final redemption. So you notice we confess together Romans 7. Oh, I don't do what I want to do. and I. Anybody? Amen? You experienced that? Well, we don't stop there. We turn to the Redeemer and we keep reading and we keep turning to the Gospel. Romans 3, Romans 6, Romans 8. There's no condemnation even for spiritual whores like me. Yes! I need to repent and come to my Savior Redeemer and He can purify and transform me so that I will be a faithful person, and we as a church will be a faithful city, and we can't wait for the day when Jesus comes back, and we will be perfected, and all of that impulse to unfaithfulness that will be burned away, and we'll live in the New Jerusalem, the home of righteousness. We're going to finally be at home. So you see the gospel rhythm in <laughs> Isaiah 1? can see it in Isaiah 6? The king, woe is me, I'm undone. The angel brings the atoning coal. Here am I, send me. Response. So we're going to respond now to this text, glorying in our Redeemer. We've got good reason to to glory and exult in our Redeemer. Chad, maybe if you can just put that slide up. Um, I'm going to just show you how this song speaks of redeemed, if you're a Christian, being redeemed. We need it every day. Keep turning. And we'll finally be redeemed. Full freedom. Okay? So look at verse 1. I will glory in my Redeemer, whose priceless blood has ransomed me. (laughs) I've been ransomed. I was a slave to my sin, and he rescued me. Mine was the sin that drove the bitter nails and hung them on that judgment tree. I will glory in my Redeemer who crushed the power of sin and death, my only Savior before the Holy Judge. Like, what other appeal are you going to have in that courtroom? He's the only Redeemer. Justified through redemption. The Lamb who is my righteousness, the Lamb who is my righteousness. Okay, so what we deserve, we have been redeemed. If we have turned, repented, and trusted in Christ. Verse 2, I will glory my Redeemer. My life He bought past. My love He owns. Present. I am prone to wander, so I need to keep being redeemed so that I have no longings for another, so that I'm satisfied in Him alone. I will glory in my Redeemer. We need to each day. need to turn to Him. His faithfulness is my standing place. Though foes are mighty and rush upon me, the threats don't run to other saviors. We want to glory in our Redeemer. We want to trust in Him and run to Him. My feet are firm, held by His grace. He'll keep us. And then I will glory in my Redeemer who carries me on eagle's wings all the way through, crowns my life with loving kindness. His triumph song I'll ever sing, I'll glory in my Redeemer who waits for me at gates of gold, and when he calls me, it will be paradise, the, the faithful city, all of the slavery, all the unfaithful impulses that you know, are so strong, and then ugh, sand in her mouth, it's going to be done fully and finally, and we're going to be totally free forever. When he calls me, it will be paradise, his face forever to behold. Behold your God. So we start where we ended. So let's glory in our Redeemer.